Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with James Gunn. Hey. Repeat guest. Yeah. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me back. I had a really good time last time I was here. Do you play that song every morning before you wake up? I do. Kind of it's like kind of like, the yeah, it's That's the, nice. sound, it's the nice. soundtrack. It's my awesome volume mix number <laughs> That's one. That's awesome. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, so you were on the fifth episode of the show. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that early. I oh, it was back. really early. I remember it was just, you know, you had just started. Yeah. I think you asked me. I think you asked me to do it before you even started the show. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because on the ep- I went back and I listened to it today because I, I didn't want to ask you all the same things. Right. Well, um, I don't remember. And I'd probably answer them differently anyway. So. Okay. <laughs> do you still feel like the fundamental mechanics of a relationship can't be changed? That's what you said. You uh, yeah, said you felt like I do. sort of... I do think that. I think that usually once you you set in stone, uh, you know, how a relationship begins is usually how it stays. And if yeah. it's nasty and bitter, even in small doses, it's, it ends up staying that way. Right. And if it's based on kindness, it usually stays that way, whether the people stay together or don't. Well, okay, so all sorts of stuff to get into. Yeah, we talked a lot, a lot, a lot about relationships yeah. on that one. Um, and we talked a little bit about career stuff. I think at the time, Lollipop Chainsaw was the thing that was going to... So this was February 2012, so you yeah. were talking about Lollipop Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, the video game had come out, and had I been February 2012, I guess I had been hired on Guardians. Had you? I don't know that you had, because you didn't mention anything. Hmm. I don't... Well, you would know your own timeline better than I would. Not really. Not I really. Think- I wouldn't know my own timeline, but I think I would have been... If it was February 2012, then I think I would have known. But you know what? You might have interviewed me before, my sense a pretty is it was long before. time before it aired. So, because I remember it coming out a while after I had done it. So, right. Uh, so, but I was definitely... I, I started working on the first Guardians in, you know, basically August or September of 2012. So that's been pretty much my life since then. Right. Well, I was going to ask, wait, let me back up and just say, I feel like every time I turn around, you're winning another award. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah, it's I mean, weird. it's crazy the trajectory that your career and your life has, t- from where I'm sitting, crazy. Yeah. Not that you don't deserve it, because of course you do, but I'm just saying like, yeah, I wow. Really, I really you, do. I really it's, do. <laughs> it's finally, it's all <laughs> happening for you. It, finally. I'm going to be like James Lipton here, but um, SAG Award. Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, we, best uh, screenplay. WGA. WGA were nominated for uh, best, uh, best Adapted Screenplay. Um, yeah, we, we've won a few awards. We 3D Critics, Society, Best Live Action, 3D Film. Best Live Action. That was a great one, actually. We were the first uh, movie that was ever had our 3D done in post uh, that, that won that award. So it meant a lot to me. I worked really hard on the 3D from the beginning. Yeah. I uh, I was reading you talking about that, about that 3D is such a big deal overseas. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal overseas. And, you know, and and here we did really well with a lot of people went out to see the movie in 3D, which is uh, not as common these days. And uh, that you were um, envisioning it in 3D the whole time you're making the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to make a 3D film. I wanted to make a film that when people went to see it in the theater, it was worth paying the money to go see it in the theater. It was giving you a different experience than you were going to get uh, in a short amount of time watching it on you know vod or or uh blu-ray best action film critics choice yeah we got that yeah two oscar nominations yeah and worldwide it's grossed 
I wish I had never started to say numbers. Se- because I think it's like seven hundred seventy-four million, right? Yes, Something like that. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It's 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 uh, that's actually the coolest part. <laughs> Not the fact that it's made so much money, but that so many people have seen the movie. Uh, so many people have gone to see the movie again and again. One of the reasons we made so much money was because people had there were so many repeat viewers more than any other movie in recent history. People would go back to see the movie again and again and again, which showed that people it meant something to people. So for me, that is far cooler than any of the awards we, we, we received. Although the other night, Charlie Wood, who's our production designer, won a, uh, you know, um, an, uh, whatever his guild is, he won the, the award from them for production design. And, and that meant a lot because Charlie was a really great partner on this film. So I was excited to see that. And the soundtrack has shipped like over a million units. Yeah, we're, I got a platinum record. That's pretty cool. That's really pretty cool. cool. And we're up for a Grammy. So hopefully we'll win that. We'll see. So how does it feel? Um, that's a great question, you know, it, and I think about it sometimes, but it's it feels good. You know, it's like it doesn't feel dr- my life doesn't feel drastically different. Um, I think from the outside, my life is drastically different. I, I think that uh, there's a, a great amount of people that treat me somewhat differently. But my life has changed, has stayed pretty much the same. You know, I was writing all day. I was working on the the sequel and and that's what I've always been doing. Then I'll go and I'll shoot and I'll work on it like that. And so my life has been similar to what it's been in the past. I still have all the same friends, same people around me, a couple of new friends. Um, but, uh, most things are, are the same and I, I try to keep it that way because that worked, you know? So where are you in the process of guardians of the galaxy two, which comes out in July of 2017, yeah. right? Yeah. I am near the end of, of really putting together a, a treatment and by a treatment, I mean a very, very, um, uh, intense you know story which is about you know 40 or it'll be about 40 or 50 pages long that's you know it even has dialogue and it goes into exactly what the specific beats of the film are and i've been working on that for a little while now it's to me it's the most important part of making a film because anything that goes wrong in this stage then is something that haunts you for the rest of your life further down the line so the better i can keep this as strong as possible um, the happier I'll be. Something know. that could go wrong at this stage, meaning like uh, you know, inconsistency in yeah, the story? Yeah, an or... inconsistency. You know, something in the story that doesn't work. You're like, oh, that relationship doesn't work, or that character's arc isn't really that great. And so you're like, oh, well, it's not a big deal in the overall scheme of things. <laughs> well, it ends up being a huge deal later down the line because the story is the skeleton of the screenplay and the screenplay is the musculature of the movie that you're making. So if your skeleton is broken, then you're screwed. And so what is the story that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is based on, based on? It, well, it's not really based on anything. It's it, the 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 story for Guardians 2 is an original story that that I came up with that I, you know, I started working on actually while I was shooting Guardians 1. And um, it'll answer some of the questions that were put forth in the first movie about Peter Quill's father and who he is and what's going on with that. And, um, you know, we'll get to know some of the characters a little bit more. And then we're going to meet a couple of new characters who will be very important to, uh, for, you know, you know, Guardians movies and probably important to the Marvel Universe as a whole. Is Peter Quill's father someone that we have seen? Well... <laughs> I don't even know why I even tried. People will have <laughs> people will have to see the movie for that. But you know what? I don't want to make it into the. It's it's not like 
that my 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 guess is people are going to know who Peter Quill's father is by the time you know trailers come out and people start seeing early screenings of the film. So I don't want to make the movie about oh you got to come to the movie and and see you know be surprised by who Peter Quill's father is because. If that's what, you know, is necessary for you to enjoy the movie, the movie doesn't work. The movie is really about, you know, the dramatic, uh, you know, relationships we have between these characters, you know, and hopefully that's bolstered by action and humor. Um, but those dramatic relationships are at the heart of what Guardians is. Mm-hmm. So that this is fascinating in terms of this being a story that you came up with. How does how does that work with Marvel and sort of their um, involvement in it? Well, I mean, it's they're of course involved. I, you know, I thought of I had I had teased Kevin Feige, who's who runs Marvel. I teased him a little bit, not teased him, teased him, but I had te- given him a teaser about <laughs> what I was thinking about where all this was going, and I I wrote up some documents about the backstory of where Peter Quill came from, what his relationship to Yandu really is. What are all the things that you know happened in the first movie, and why are they there? Doesn't make sense basically, if we continue telling the story. And they were on board with that. And then after If the you mo- continue, continue telling the story as it is in the comic books, you mean? Well, it's not. It's different from what the comic books... It's, it's different, you know, right. than, okay. than what's in the comic books. You know, Peter Quill's father is, is, is somebody different in the comics. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so then I when, I... when the movie came out, you know, we got greenlit on the sequel right away. I went in and I sat down with those guys and I'm like, okay, here's what I think the sequel should be. And they were like, oh, whoa, that's risky, but okay. And I said, uh, and they're, you know, now I'm, now I'm going to turn over the story in a few short weeks and we'll find out how much, you know, how, how well it works. You know, they're great collaborators at Marvel. And, and the, one of the reasons why I've really liked doing uh, this film is because it's allowed me to be as creative as possible because there's so much you have to create. You have to create characters and worlds and, you know, sets and places and locations of out of something that doesn't exist in a regular movie you know when you have a production designer and you're like hey you know i you know want to have a toaster in this scene and then the the production designer will say okay well here are pictures of 20 toasters that you can put in the scene and you choose one in this movie it's like i want to have a toaster in a scene well what is a toaster? How does it work? Does it float in the air? Does it, you know, is it bread that it toasts? What does it do? You know, you have to create everything from scratch. So I feel like most of my time between now and July or in May of 2017 is really in the creation of all those little details as well as the overall story. And is that exciting or daunting? It's above? fun. I mean, it's really fun. I was I was talking to um, I was talking to my friend. Who was I talking to yesterday? Uh, I was I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I, I was talking about how when I was a little kid, I used to to play, and I had you know brothers and sisters, and I would play, and we would have little Fisher Price people or Star Wars people or whatever, and we would get into these elaborate stories of these adventures these characters would be going on and what they would be doing, and and this feeling that I have now while I'm writing the story is that exact same feeling that I had when I was a child. It really is playing. You know, when I'm in the zone, it's that way. When I'm not, I'm like, oh, you know, what do I do next? It's, you know, I run into little problems along the way of things that I have to fix, and then it's a little bit different. But when I'm really in the zone and things are really working well, it feels like that pure creativity I had as a child just playing in my basement. And was that encouraged? With my parents? Mm -hmm. It was encouraged. 
No, I mean, it wasn't encouraged or not encouraged. I mean, we just, there were six kids in my family and there's a year between us, wow. uh, between each of us. So there were six kids in seven years. And what number are you? One. And so in that time, we, we, um, it, you know, we didn't get a whole lot of personal interaction with our parents. Um, we played with each other a lot. And that was where my upbringing was, was with my brothers and sisters and the neighborhood kids too. And your dad's a lawyer? Yeah. Right? And what does your mom do? My mom uh, is a homemaker, but she taught the deaf when I was, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like being the eldest of six kids? Did you look after them? Uh, yeah, I looked after them. I looked out for them. I also picked on them. You know, I mean, I think it's like any big brother. I think they loved me and looked to me for protection. And I also was a bully, you know, so it was, uh, it was all those things. I think it's, you know, when you're the oldest kid, you know, and I was also had this big group of kids in my neighborhood, all of whom were, you know, most of whom were younger than me or like my age. Was this St. Louis? St. Louis, Missouri. And so it was very, um, it was you know, I got used to being in charge, I guess, is the thing. And I don't think it's a surprise that I became a director. I guess it's always a surprise when somebody becomes a director. But I think that that was, you know, I was always set up to be that sort of thing. That was my relationship to other people was as, you know, younger. But Dennis sense. didn't think you were going to do it. De- <laughs> Dennis, right. Yes, yes. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should tell that story for the listeners. Who are like, Dennis what are you is a guy. About? When I was a when I was very young, I worked as an orderly um, at a hospital, and um, my job was to uh, you know move people back and forth and from hospital room to hospital room. I also was the one person who wasn't afraid of the dead bodies, so I would always have to move the dead bodies. And there was a dispatcher there named Dennis who found out that I had all these big dreams of things I wanted to do with my life. And one day I was going in there and he just sits back and he looks me up and down and he says, you know, uh, James, he says, there's been a lot of guys that have come in here like you that have had big dreams and things they've wanted to do. And (laughs) not a single one has ever done anything. (laughs) And I was like, it was one of those moments where you, 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 you struggle in yourself. And I said, you know, I mean, even as I was standing there, I'm like, I could take this and like take this onto myself and believe this, or I can say, fuck you, Dennis. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do everything I can within my power to do, do the best I can in the world and to do the best for myself and my family and my friends and, and, and try to create something nice with my life. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that guy's always been a little bit in my head <clears throat> every time I've had a success. And unfortunately, probably sometimes when I have failures, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck Dennis, yeah. Oh, there's something that we often like to say to people like Dennis. Hey, 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 go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so back to... You know, I don't, I don't... There's no hatred in me towards Dennis. Dennis is like... That guy was sad. I mean, that that person was sad. That's not a, something you say to somebody when you're happy. Right. You know, That's you don't who say thinks, that. Like, there's no possibility in the world no it, and even if you're like listen i mean i come across people sometimes who have big dreams i mean you see those people on american idol that have you know arrows through the middle of their skulls and they think they're great singers <laughs> and they can't sing at all and you know sometimes people have to be you know uh, the, you know the voice of reality and say you might think about doing something else but that isn't what Dennis was doing. He wasn't being kind and telling me that I should do something else. He was like trying he didn't to even know you, it sounds like. rub something in. He didn't know me. Yeah. yeah. He was trying to feel superior. 
Well, so. he sounds like a dick. Yeah, I realize there's dick. no hatred towards him, but yeah, maybe yeah. I have a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay, so here are a few more of my uh, English major Guardians of the Galaxy questions. I was wondering to you, what does the Infinity Stone symbolize? Like, or what do they symbolize? This idea of something that is so that you have to be you have to be powerful enough to be able to handle it. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, there is, the weird thing is sometimes I can't even remember, um, how much of this is still in the movie and how much we cut because we had a a big, we had a difficult time in the the part where Benicio del Toro is the collector and he has to go through the origins of the infinity stones and where they came from, um, and what they are. And, you know, when he's describing them, you know, what he's essentially saying is that at the moment of the Big Bang, there were these little fragments of existence that came out into the world, and those are the Infinity Stones. And those Infinity Stones each have a different aspect of life. And the one within Guardians is the Power Stone, and it's pure power. And uh, he also talked about originally in the script, which I don't think is in the movie anymore, that um, you know, many religious people within the galaxy, the other galaxy, you know, believed that the Infinity Stones are pieces of God. They are actually fragments of God that blew up at the moment the life came into existence. So they're just a part of our core of who we are, of what life is, and that's what uh, that's what the Power Stone is in particular. But the other stones, you know, have different uh, uses. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, we're, you know... You know, as much as people think we we plan out every single thing at Marvel, um, and there's always a basic plan of of what's going to happen and what's happening, but at the same time, uh, we change it um, for what the particular story might need the most. And it was something that that Kevin Feige said to me early on. You know, because I I went in and we were talking about some aspect of the movie, and I was like, yeah, but. I thought we wanted to do this thing so that later on in Avengers 34, this thing will Mm -hmm. happen. And he's like, you know, I'll never want a movie to be changed for the future. He said, we'll deal with it down the line. Um, But we always want the movies to be each specifically as good as they possibly can. If that means we have to change the mythology in some ways, we will. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that particular collector scene, I knew that I was having to set up something that was going to, you know, be meaningful to the other movies in in the Marvel universe. Right. And then also I was reading that um you were talking about Ronan and you said that he has a very sick and twisted view of what morality is. Strength is virtue and weakness is sin. Yeah. And then you kind of went on and I was thinking that I've met people like that and it's always very chilling. Yeah. And what is your experience with that kind of person? Well, I mean, I think the interesting thing about Ronan is that he believes that that strength is virtue and weakness is sin, and he believes that as a religious belief. I mean, that's his religion. He practically, and he believes that, like, he would say that he believes that, you know, that that's his belief. And that makes him a sort of interesting character to me that we didn't get to fully explore in the movie, but I find that aspect of his personality really interesting. I mean, I guess that's fascism. He's a fascist. Yeah, he is a fascist, you know, um, although I think there's, you know, other attributes of, of, of certain fascists. But he's definitely a fascist. I mean, I called him Cosmic Hitler a lot while we were making the movie um, because he, he is that 
but it's uh but i also think there's something about the tyranny of religion and what he does that mm-hmm. is uh you know obviously very present in our world um from all sorts of uh hardcore fundamentalist religions did you grow up religious at all I grew up very, very Catholic. I, I grew up, uh, I went to all Catholic schools up until grad school, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. What uh, grad school did you go to? Columbia University in New York City. So I, uh, yeah, which was which was interesting to me because I never thought of myself as being anything but Catholic. I kind of thought of that as a norm. And when I went to New York, I was suddenly realized that this was a part of my cultural heritage that not everybody shared. I mean, I, I knew practically that that was the case, but I didn't realize how much it had shaped who I was, this being raised Catholic. Because the truth is, by the time I was maybe 12 years old, I decided that that wasn't something um, that I adhered, that I believed. Uh, do you remember what, what made you decide that? Yeah, I do. I was, I was really young. I was, I, was, I was 12, and I was with my friend Danny. Um, and we were outside talking about, we were learning about the the Greek gods of, of mythology. And I said, hey, you know, if if people believe that, you know, why is it that, you know, what we believe is, is you know, in the Bible is factually true, but people believed in, you know, Apollo and whomever back then, they thought that was real. But, you know, who's to say we're not just doing the same thing and we're just that same thing. And Danny was like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I agree. I agree. So that day, Danny and I decided that we were no longer Catholic. <laughs> we made an agreement and was very I was very excited, you know, because I love even though I have some problems with religion, I love talking about religion. I love studying religion. It's really fascinating to me. And there are aspects of religion I really like. I'm not anti overall religion. Um, but, you know, but I remember and I went home and I laid in bed and I thought about how I wasn't Catholic is all very exciting, but also sort of taboo and scary, um, because there is that small chance you're wrong and you're going to hell and we'll burn eternally in damnation. And that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. And I went back then a couple days later to see Danny and I'm like, Hey, let's talk about how we don't believe in Catholicism anymore. And he said, Oh no, I talked to my dad about that. And he said, you know, that that's and he he comforted his son, and I thought, wow. And I learned a lot of things in that moment. The one was that I was lost. Now I was out on my by myself with this new belief system I had. And the other thing was that Danny felt free enough with his parents to go talk about the fact that he was no longer Catholic. That he didn't think he was going to get you know fucked with for that, which I definitely thought I'd get yelled at. That's what uh, I was going to ask. You did, you never mentioned it to your parents. No, no, no. What would have happened if you had? Uh, you know, I would have I got yeah, I would have gotten yelled at. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But you said fucked with? Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten messed with. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, you know, my parents are great people. Uh my dad's uh I guess I you know, I don't know. He's a he's a recovering alcoholic now. So, uh as am I. Um, so he, he's a, he's a, he's a really great guy, but, but it is, as, as children, life could be a little bit more, uh, complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's hard growing up with, um, well, when there's that in the house, then sometimes it, parents are very mercurial and you get very attuned to the different moods and things. Yeah. I just, in my family, I think that, you know, we were, we were children of the seventies and things were, a lot different than what they were for the generation before us. And it was always, you know, I think my parents were taught that, you know, you're supposed to believe what your parents tell you to believe. You're supposed to do what they tell you to do. You know, you go about things in a very certain way. And here I was this little weirdo kid that didn't really care about 
school and the way all I wanted to do was draw and, and draw comic books and make little movies and, you know, play music. And, and that's really all I cared about. Um, and that's all I did too. Uh, I really, I never, I don't remember hardly ever doing homework through, you know, grade school or high school. Um, I didn't even graduate from grade school, but luckily my dad had an in with the priest and he got me to graduate, but I, I didn't graduate because my grades were so poor. Mm. Um, because I was just always very creative. And at the time, you know, I think that I thought of it as sort of work and where it actually ended up, you know, going. But um, but it was, uh, it was not, I was in a weird, very weird job. Mm-hmm. And where did you go to college? Uh, St. Louis University in, uh, in, in St. Louis. Obviously. Did you have trouble getting into college because of no, your grades or anything? No, no, my or? grades were were better in high school, and uh, I got into college. And then my grade, I actually studied very hard in college. I I, uh, I really got into school and and learning. I think at that level, you know, you get to you know pick a little bit more what you're you're focusing on, whether it was history or psychology or the things that are English, the things that I really studied. So I was actually a very good student in college. Okay, so you decided you were no longer Catholic at 12, and then did you, what was your sort of spiritual journey since then? Um, well, <laughs> it's a huge question. <laughs> That's <now>. a huge <laughs> question. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I still, I'm always open to, to learning about different religions, and I get different things out of, you know, um, I, I meditate, which is not really religious, but I meditate. Uh, I do kind of meditation practice called mindful meditation, which is about as secular as meditation can get. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, you know, I think that I don't I don't even want to call myself spiritual because you know, in a way, the word itself sort of detaches it from reality, and I don't know exactly what that means. But but what I mean is. I don't think of us as bodies and then also as spirits. I think that we are bodies, you know, if if there is bodies and and there are spirits, they're one thing. They aren't two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe. I don't know. What are your thoughts about what happens when we die? Um, Well, I I don't know. (laughs) Probably we die. But listen, here's the thing. And this is this is this is what I believe. I don't believe necessarily that this is a weird subject to talk about in a radio show, but so I don't believe necessarily that uh, time exists in the way we perceive it. And science really backs that up, that time doesn't necessarily exist in the way we perceive it, which means all time exists at one point and forever, every moment. And if that is true, that means we do very much live forever. And that means what we make of our lives is can be very much heaven or hell, depending on how we choose to live those lives. And that we are eternal, immortal souls because this moment lasts forever. Um, so that, I basically believe, is true. There's something, this is like a mental exercise that I have been trying ever since I was a little kid that I just can't do because I think our brains just can't do it. The idea of living forever, like I cannot conceptually my brain I think it's just our brains are too linear it's like I can think of there, there's a constant end point to that thought yeah I mean I realize that you're you're talking about it in a different something, way something different yeah right but, you're talking sort of like oh, a I multiverse to, kind of thing but 
Um, I mean, I, I, I talked to my, my friend Valentine Mealy and I have had this discussion before about, uh, you know, if you could live forever, would you? Like, in this life, you know, would you live forever? And, like, I, there's no way. I think that actually sounds like complete hell right. um, to be living. I, I think that there's only so much you can learn after so long. Now, I would like to live a lot longer. I would take quite a few hundred years. But to live forever, I think that sounds like that could be a really it's like bad a choice to make. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what made me say it is this I, what you're saying, the idea that we actually are immortal because time is just a construct or has folded on itself, et cetera. Um, that's the only way that the idea of immortality is actually tolerable. Yes. Because the idea of it being just this thing that we're doing now, like the never ending podcast yeah. as much as I'm enjoying this. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 That's frightening. Yeah. 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 Cause we're pretty simple. We're pretty simple organisms. We right. still are organism. We're still our animals. And it's like, there's only so much that we can think and do and feel, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, so speaking of animals, raccoons are, ha- are, have been a thing that you've been into like, for a long time, For my whole right? life, yeah. I mean, I've loved raccoons. I've loved raccoons since I was a little kid. I, I had a little uh, raccoon collection as a child. Yeah. And I thought I was watching um, the extras on Guardians of the Galaxy, and there was something you said that I thought was really fascinating, which was that you spent a lot of time thinking about the animalness of Rocket's eyes yeah. and the innocence of Groot's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're creating uh, a character that's 100% uh, computer generated, it's the eyes are, as with human beings, as with actors, uh, the eyes are the most important part of that creature. And if you can feel um, something for them through their eyes, uh, you can get away with uh, less perfection in the rest of their bodies. Although you still really, I'm still pretty crazy about getting those things as perfect as possible. and yeah, and I think that Rocket is, to me, a, a very heartbreaking character, um, as funny as he might be, because he is a little animal that was very innocent, um, that was taken and experimented on and turned into this thing uh, where he does have higher faculties that he's not necessarily built to have. Um, and, and is that from the comics or is that you? Uh no, it wasn't really in the comics. I mean, sort of. He was, yeah, he was taken and he was developed and turned into this r- raccoon thing. But it wasn't, none of that angst right. <laughs> was something that was in <laughs> the original. That's just, when I got the job of creating Guardians, I'm like, oh, shit, there's this talking raccoon in the middle of all of this. Well, if there was a talking raccoon, how would it be real? Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't want to make him from a race of talking raccoons. <laughs> I wanted to make him a you know, a, a, this little beast. And, uh, and that's where it sort of seemed to naturally go if it was really a, some sort of something we were going to believe was real in this, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a full film. Mm-hmm. The relationship between Rocket and Groot is so moving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, you know, in a way, in a way, Groot is a lot like the Guardian's dog, <laughs> you know, when you think about it. He really is. He is. Uh, he ha- does have that same sort of loyal innocence uh, that a dog has. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that a lot with, with Groot uh, because Groot, um, both Groot and Rocket have elements of my dog, uh, Von Spears, that, that you know, we, 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 you know, we, we took 
uh, his mouth and scanned it so that we could use elements of his mouth in Rocket's mouth because a, a Rocket's, a, a, an actual raccoon's mouth is difficult to make talk. It's also difficult to make a dog's mouth talk, but it's a little bit easier than a, a, a raccoon's mouth. I was saying to my husband that it remind that Rocket in certain scenes reminds me of our dog. So yeah. And and actual raccoons, when you're around actual raccoons, they remind you a little bit of dogs and cats in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, But they, but yeah, that's definitely has some of rockets mouth and, uh, and Groot has some of his eyes because it's just that those big innocent eyes that, that look at you with a sort of unconditional love that Groot has, you know? So rocket feeling alone in the universe or in the galaxy or in the world. um, How much of that is, is because he is this like created engineered creature and perhaps he truly is one of a kind and how much is that sort of just his mindset I think it is because he's one of a kind I think he's he's totally alone I mean not not only that he was also not only is he one of a kind so he's totally alone because he does start to have friends with the guardians which is a good thing and most of them are also one of a kind I mean you know, uh, Gamora is the last of her race. Quill is the only Earthling in outer space that he knows of. And, um, you know, and we don't know exactly in the movies. We don't learn exactly what where Groot and, and Drax are from. But uh, I think that's part of it. But also because he was he didn't have parents at all. <laughs> so, like, Drax actually comes from a somewhat loving family, it seems. Um, you know, he loves his family. Uh, Quill had a loving mother for a short while. Gamora had a loving parents for a while before Thanos killed them. Uh, Rocket was an animal who was taken and tortured endlessly <laughs> by scientists. Those are his parents. That's as close as what he has to a parent. So he doesn't have any sort of parenting whatsoever. That's why I find the moment at the end of the movie, to me, is my favorite moment, was when Drax touches him, because that's the first time in his life that anyone has ever given him any sort of physical affection. Never before has he ever experienced that. And uh, and to me, that's incredibly touching. Mm. Is there a character that you relate to most? The Rocket, by far. By far. By far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I relate to Rocket a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we last talked, we talked a bit about how you got sober pretty young. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about what you experienced before... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Before um, you decided it was time to get sober and you're doing a lot of drugs and you sort of had a meltdown, you said, and you said that you thought that you could control things with your mind. Wow. Did I really talk you about did. that? Just yeah, a little yeah. A bit. Yeah. 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 Well, yes. I mean, that's like over a, a, really the end of my alcohol and drug use was pretty intense. And during that time, I would say I had what you could only call a psychotic break from reality. Well, what I was going to ask is feeling like you had the power to control things with your mind. I'm wondering if, if that at all was inspiration for making a superhero movie. Oh, I don't think so. Cause I've loved superheroes since I was a kid, you know, you know, so yeah, I've really, I really love superheroes and, you know, I think that when you look at, you know, the movies I've I've made, I made a movie called The Specials about superheroes. I mm. made a movie called Super, Super about superheroes, and I made Guardians. And each one of them takes superheroes and tries to make them real in different ways. Um, and I think that's been a sort of lifelong obsession. What was the first comic you were into? Um, I, there was a, a Scamp comic I had when I was a little kid. His Scamp was a Lady in the Tramp's son. And I was really, really into scamp, like really into scamp. 
And then I had a Thor comic when I was it was the first sort of Marvel comic, superhero comic I remember having when I was a child that I would just read those comics over and over. I pretty much learned to read off that Scamp comic. But I loved Scamp. I loved uh, Uncle Scrooge. Um, I loved all those, those you know, the Beagle Boys. I liked a lot of those sort of Disney character comic books and some of the Carl Barks stuff that was done, and I didn't know it was Carl Barks at the time because I was, I'm talking three and four years old, so. I love Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I didn't know there was Scamp. Yeah, well, Scamp, remember? I mean, I remember all the, all the puppies at the end. Yeah, and there's the one little male. Yeah. Well, that little male is Scamp, and Scamp had his own comic books. What kind of adventures did he have? I, I don't Do you, remember. Oh, okay. I really don't remember. I mean, we're them. talking, I'm, I'm talking before I was five, so. Wow. So also on that episode, you talked about how there's five, you realize there's five things that you need to do every day. And if you do them, then you're pretty much happy. Yeah. But then you listed four and I wasn't sharp enough at the time oh, did to, I? yeah. And I, I wondered if there actually is a fifth. There's five. Yeah. There's five. There are five and the okay. five are, uh, get at least 10 minutes of sunshine. That's the one. That wasn't mentioned. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Get at least 10 minutes of sunshine. Um, meditate for 20 minutes. Work out for, you know, exercise for at least 20 minutes. Talk to a friend and work for at least a couple hours. Oh. Well, they've changed what then. What you said back then was go to therapy, get exercise, meditate, and talk to a friend every day. Are you off of therapy? <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think therapy's great, but I don't think that's something that I need to do to remain happy. I think those five things are the things that I need to do to be If I do those five things generally, then I will stay uh okay. Mhm. What exercise do you do? Uh I I lift weights and and uh mostly I lift weights, I do crunches, I do a lot of different things. Okay. So, because I religiously follow your Instagram, I noticed that you play with otters frequently. Mm-hmm. Where, how, how does this happen? Oh, you can do it anytime. I want Just to. let me know. It's, it's at a place called uh, Nurtured by Nature Otters. They're a wonderful organization uh, in San Diego, and you can go, and there's a waiting list, but let me know. And they have... Uh, <laughs> this is the best interview you, ever. <laughs> you can go play with otters. They have otters there. They have uh, porcupine. That's really sweet. They have kangaroos. Um, they have uh, all sorts of, you know, cavies and, and, and really cool animals. And the, the otters are the best. Uh, that You can go swimming with the otters. And they're very, very uh, sweet. They love humans. And their they're highlight of their day is going swimming. And it's run by a guy who's a zookeeper at San Diego Zoo. They do a lot of make-a-wish things for make-a-wish kids. They do a lot of, uh, you know, great things for people. And uh, to support them and, you know, go pay. It's not that expensive. A few hundred bucks to go spend, you know, you know, three or four hours with all these incredible animals. Sloth. I've become kind of obsessed with this, so yeah. I need to do this. And the oh, other yeah, thing easy. you posted that I've also become kind of obsessed with, but I don't know that I need to. I just need to hear about it. Snow cream? Oh, yeah. What is that? Yeah. that's a, There's a place called uh, North Pole Snow Cream. There's a couple of them. Uh, and they'll be very happy that I'm talking about them. <laughs> but uh, that that snow cream, it's like uh, you know, it, it's a it's it's like the you know the the ice snow that you would get um, the, the Asian people eat a lot of, but it's actually made with a uh, very low fat milk. Um, and for some reason, it's supposed to be better for you than than shaved ice. I don't know why, um, but it's it's really delicious. Is it shaved ice or is it creamier though? Or is it something in between? It's it's 
it's it's cream. It's it's got cream in it, so mm-hmm. it tastes a little bit different than shaved ice. I love shaved ice. There's some delicious shaved ice out there, but North Pole is probably my favorite, and they also have a lot of different types of you know, you know, black sesame, taro, green tea, all sorts of you know types of cream, and then different toppings you can put on there. What a strange <laughs> conversation. They're gonna be really happy. I know. I'm going to go play with otters and then I'm going to eat snow cream and I'm going to have a real James Gunn kind of day. But in the middle, I will probably try some Sherry's Berries. Do you know Sherry's Berries, James Gunn? I don't. They're so good. They're big, juicy, delicious strawberries dipped in chocolate. They're a great Valentine's Day gift. Um, You can get them starting at $19.99, which is over 40% savings. If you go to berries.com, click on the microphone and type in my code, best friend. So again, they're these gigantic strawberries dipped in white chocolate, milk chocolate, or dark chocolate. They have chocolate chips on them, decorative swizzle, nuts, um, and they're all – they're really good. And also, berries.com has other things besides strawberries. So they have chocolate dip cherries. They have um, chocolate dip pretzels. They have chocolate dip caramel pretzels. They have cake pops, truffle pops, all sorts of things. Um, I give them to family members every year, and every year I hear how good they are. In fact, someone I know who, if she's listening, don't listen to this, has a birthday coming up. So you know what you're getting now. Um Anyway, they make great gifts, or you can just get them for for yourself, and uh, you will not be disappointed. So here's the only way to get this amazing Valentine's Day deal. Giant, juicy, freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99, or double the berries for $10 more. Visit berries, B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in best friend. Again, that's berries dot com. Click on the microphone and enter my code best friend. Order today. Okay, so... Another thing that we talked about, and I want to know the, the update on this. You claimed that you are friends with all of your exes. Are you, have you? Are you? Have you still <laughs> continued your streak? <laughs> uh, not a hundred percent. Pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. I'm pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. All right. Well, but I'll tell you, I w- there was one ex I was not friends with last time I talked to you uh, from a long time ago. Um, who we did not break up well, and we've become friends since then. So that's been kind of nice. That is good. That's been really nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, I've talked about this woman a lot because um, I've often gotten very upset because when I was a kid, I was a cartoonist. So I drew comic strips for uh, underground newspapers and all the college newspapers, I, you know, different colleges I went to and things like that. And uh, I had all of my artwork. And when I split up with this woman, we were in an apartment, and it disappeared. I thought she destroyed it. I mean, she basically intimated that she destroyed mm. it. Um, but she didn't. <laughs> okay. And I'm getting it sent to me now. Like, I talked to this woman for the first time in a long time since I moved to Los Angeles. And, uh, and, and she's sending me all my artwork. So oh, that's she really didn't. Cool. So I'm going to have all my old cartoons, which is, which is cool. So for all these years, she just had it sitting there? Yeah, she had it in a box in her house. Yeah. How yeah. did you guys reconnect? Um, one of her nephews wrote me um, on Facebook, and I remember him from when he was a young kid, and now he's older. And you know, we just had a really great relationship when 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 I was her boyfriend. But when we split up, it wasn't a very good breakup, and we uh, didn't. I didn't continue to see those kids. And he wrote me, and he, we started talking, we started chatting again, and um, had a nice conversation. And then he told me that. Uh, that my ex, you know, wanted to, you know, catch up and he gave me your number. And so I called her and now we're, uh, now we're friendly again. It was nice. It's healing, really healing. Yeah. Good. Um, so I know that you have some superstitions and one of them is that when there's anything 
that you're sort of nervous about or where there's pressure, you have to wear a new item of clothing, yeah. be it like socks or pants or a watch or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you were filming Guardians of the Galaxy, did you have to do that every day? Almost, almost. But I, I've I've really tried to stop that. I've oh, really? Really tried to stop it. Yeah, it's gotten better lately. It hasn't been. Um, it hasn't been. Uh, it's a it's a mild form of OCD, I suppose. And I I've I've stopped it for the most part, which is good. I just kind of forced myself to stop it. Why? Because who wants 80,000 pairs of socks? <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I have a lot of socks, a lot of shoes, a lot of watches, you know. Well, my favorite part of what you said way back when, and I don't want to, I don't want to like needle the OCD, but um, that if you wear a new watch to something, then the next day it still has a little bit of newness left. Right. In it. Yeah. So it still has a little bit of power. Left yeah. That's. In it. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> that's how it works. It's uh. That's that's the science behind it. Actually, it's <laughs> like if you wear a new watch, uh, then that gives you a lot of power. Um, if you wear, uh, you know, like a new T-shirt, that gives you a lot of power. <laughs> now the next day, maybe you don't have a new watch, new T-shirt. So you watch, you wear the watch for a second day, and you wear the T-shirt for a second day. It's almost new. It's almost new. Still has some power together. Together, they still don't make a full new thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you wear a bunch of stuff, it, it can come close to one full new thing. And if you're really, you know, got something very important, you can wear more than one new thing at a time. And that has a lot of power to it. When did this start? I don't know. I, I was, I don't know. But I mean, did you do it as a kid? Uh, I did elements of things like that as a kid, you know, having to touch certain things spots and things to you know it's i've always had some sort of element of this in my life but i really have been (laughs) i really have been better lately (laughs) have you tested it though like have you because i have all sorts of little things like that too um but then i always think but wait like if I were, I would be, if I were you, I'd be thinking, but is, do I have an example of something good that happened when I wasn't wearing definitely, something new? Definitely. Or, yeah. Definitely. Sometimes it seems like, listen, it, it, also it's like you wear a new outfit, you feel better about yourself and things are going to probably be a little bit better. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, magic, which is how it appears in my head. It has <laughs> to do with the fact that you feel good about yourself because you got a nice new outfit on. Right. Um, but yeah, there's been times when, you know, something really good has happened when I have had nothing new on and I'm like, oh, whoa, what happened? Or something bad has happened. Like I, you know, wore a new shirt. If I wore two new things on out on a date and the date sucked, I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> the world's turning upside down. But it happens. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how is everything going with the ladies? <laughs> it's, you know, you know, I don't know. You know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not uh, married. It has dating changed with all with all the Guardians of the Galaxy? It stuff? has. It has. I think it's you know the most difficult thing is, um, and this is a weird thing, but you think it would be, you think it would be easier, and it is easier in some ways. I mean, I do get proposition more since this has happened, you know, which is good. That's a really good thing. But also you have so many as a, as a director who suddenly has a, a say in people's careers, I guess, it's, which is how it's perceived. You have a lot of pretty women who are like, hey, let's go get lunch or let's do this or let's do that, who don't have romantic intentions. Now, a couple of years ago, if somebody asked me, you know, out to dinner, I would think that it was probably 
romantic intentions. But today, it's 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 actually a lower percentage of that. So it makes it's a little confusing. Sometimes is it ro- romantic intentions, and you are mistaking it for someone just wanting to meet you for their career? Yeah, it could be both ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, or it could be like it's it's somebody who I think is asking me out because they want to go on a date, and it's not a date. It's it's somebody wants to talk about right. You know, what can I do for them or. What advice can I give them or anything like that? It makes... Oh, an informational interview? <laughs> an informational interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that happens, right. you know. Uh, that's a strange, uh, you know. There is a little bit of a... I, I've noticed since all this has happened, it's it's been a little bit more... I haven't changed, but a lot of reality has changed around me. And... Um, and learning to deal with the way other people treat me uh, is, 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 I think, is a, a learning curve of some type. How do they treat you? Um, nicer, mostly, you know. So most people, most everyone, mm. you know. But that, and that must feel good, right? Mm. Or is there, do you question it? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody should be kind to everyone, don't you? So... Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's it can be it's not bad, it's good. It's more good than it is bad, but it definitely takes you know, I have trust issues anyway. So <laughs> so knowing who you can trust in life and I have taken a little bit more actually as opposed to being a person that's like, "Oh, I'm going to make like new famous friends." I've actually gotten more to be like, "Oh, I've got the people in my life who I really care about and who are my close friends and get a little bit more shut off." to making new friends than I was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to relationships, something that that uh, came up on the last podcast, you were talking about um, your relationship with Jenna Fisher, your first wife, and how you guys both have these sort of offbeat, weird senses of humor, but really when it came down to it, she wants a much more normal life than you wanted. Like she likes to stay at home and watch TV with, with her dude. Yeah. Um, Whereas you like to be out and be, be, have, have a more abnormal sort of existence. I think is, those are not the words you said. That that is true. That is very true. That's the big difference between me and Jenna is that uh, I think her, her life, the life that she wanted was a bit more traditional and the life that I want is is a bit more um, out of the box, and, and you know, but family wise. Here's my question: Is it that you want the experience of the out of the? Let's see if this question works. Here's a question that might not work: Is it okay. that you want the experience of the out of the box sort of existence, or that you are running from the conventional thing? Mm. I think it's a fact. I mean, listen, um, you know, quite honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that into this day that I'm sort of married to my career. Um, and it sounds strange because Jenna was a big, you know, TV star, you know, and, and is a big famous star and is starring in a new TV show and doing some really great stuff. Um, but I think it's definitely not the priority in her life. The priority is definitely her her uh her husband and her kids um i think for me the the priority in my life you know for for better or worse is making films do you do you want kids um 
you know, I think that there's some part of me that, that really wants children. Um, I've felt that in the past, you know. I've, not very often do I feel it, but every once in a while something, this sort of biological urge will come up in me. to When you're playing with an otter? kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I just want otters. <laughs> um, no, when I'm playing with animals, I'm like, hey, I can just have a bunch of animals. I don't need kids, which is probably what is going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, but, you know... In, in saying, do I want kids? Also, the the the, the question is, do I desire children? Yes, sometimes. The question is, would I choose to have a child? And I, I, it would have to be a very, a very, it would have to be a situation I'd feel very confident about. Is that is that um, where the reservations come from? The idea of potentially bringing a kid into the world and not being able to provide a stable home. Or is it that you don't want to... Yeah, stable home in terms of a relationship. I mean, I think, yeah, that would be a very difficult uh, thing, you know. And listen, I, I really, like, if I wanted to have a child, a, a large part of me thinks I would adopt because I think there are children out there, especially children who are a little bit older, who uh, could really use a home. And there is a part of me that would have a difficult time, I think, uh, procreating and, and, you know... Just in the same way, I you know I see little you know puppies that are you know from breeders that are completely adorable, and you can get exactly the type of kid you you know the type of dog you want from a breeder. But I, I can't do it. I mean, I have to go to the pound and pick out that dog that needs a home because if I'm picking that dog from the breeder, and then some other dog somewhere is getting killed. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd have a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. In a way, here I'm, I'm going to make a big. A big circle. Um, all the Guardians of the Galaxy characters are kind of the uh, the adoptees, are they not? Like, they're kind of the rejects. They're all the rejects. They're the outcasts. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the movie is about. The, at the end of the day, the movie is about a bunch of weirdos and outsiders who do not have a family and who all feel completely alone and find each other. You know, at the heart of the structure of Guardians of the Galaxy, it's sort of a family drama. It's just with, you know, outer space characters and a bunch of, uh, you know, fight scenes and and, uh, comedy. When you were a kid, did you fantasize about having a different kind of family? Uh, No, I actually really loved my family always. You know, I really had a a real fondness uh, for my family, you know, especially my brothers and my sister. You know, I, I like being from a big family. I like the group feeling. I'm sure that also, uh, you know, speaks to the Guardians and why I like those types of movies with ensemble cast and writing, you know, characters in group situations. Do you relate to the outcast thing? Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was a complete, as a child, I was a complete outcast. Complete outcast. Yeah, Danny. I did have Danny, but then Danny went and, and became Catholic again. I, even from him, I felt uh, I felt sort of sort of estranged. Yeah, yeah. What were you like in high school? Uh, high school was easier for me than grade school. I was a punk rock kid, you know, um, but I did find a group of friends who were all artists and who uh, made movies and, and and things like that, and so. I remember going to high school like at the very beginning and and I went to grade school, you know, out in the sort of what at time was a semi-rural area of of St. Louis, outside St. Louis. And I went to to high school at a really nice high school in St. Louis, uh, in the city. Um, That was all all male high school, but all people who were, you know, had did well on, you know, the standardized tests. 
and I went into school and I was talking very early days. I was sitting in the hallway and I started talking to this kid and we started talking about the Shroud of Turin and we got into a big argument about it. And even having a discussion about that was interesting to me. He believed in the Shroud of Turin. I thought it was bullshit. <laughs> and then we started talking about he made movies and he was like a kid like me. And it was like really like finding it was in a way, I guess, sort of like Guardians of the Galaxy. It was like finding another person like yourself that, uh, you know, had interest in different things that kids from Manchester, Missouri didn't really have. Mm-hmm. And now a very, um, I don't know what the word is, not wonky, but just a very uh, specific kind of film question I have. I know that Chris Pratt lost a lot of weight yeah. to do, to be in the movie. And I've always wondered this whenever I hear about this happening. How does it work? Like, is it like his contract stipulates that he must lose weight by a certain point? Or how is this enforced? Or is it just that, that you know they'll do it? Um, I don't. I don't know if his contract said anything about losing weight. It might have. I don't think it did. Um, but the thing is, is we were taking a risk because we had knew uh, he had lost weight for Zero Dark Thirty. Not as much weight as he lost for Guardians. And by saying lose weight, I meant he got in really amazing shape mm. um, for, for Zero Dark Thirty. And I know that uh, Kevin and Lou uh, from Marvel sat him down and said, hey, if you want to do this, you have to lose weight. And you have to remember that if... It shows up and it's a few weeks before filming and he hasn't lost weight. We can always say we're going to hire somebody else. I'm sure Chris knew that. Um, and he had gained weight for a role, though, right? So it wasn't just like, the, hey, you're looking fat. Well, he was chubby anyway. And then he had gained more weight to, for the delivery man. Mm-hmm. So he was he was at his heaviest. Um, but at the same time, I really, the, you know, the secret that I didn't tell Chris until after we were done is that. For me, I would have fought to keep him even if he was chubby because he was really the best and he really fit that that character the best. And if that meant that character was a little bit, you know, beefier um, and we had the first, you know, sort of chubby superhero, then I, I would have gone with it because he was the best actor for the role. What was it about him? Uh, he was he was um, he was he brought this this magic to the role, this sort of charm mixed with masculinity mixed with vulnerability uh that is not something that you normally see in actors and he stood outside the role i mean the role on the page was very funny he was a well-written character i thought that was interesting and he fulfilled that character completely uh and also added something else to it that was outside of that that was chris um, and that's what I was hoping for because that was exactly what I thought Robert Downey Jr. did when he got the role of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought something magical, something different to it. And I really wasn't going to be satisfied with an actor until I got that. So we saw many, 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 many actors uh, before Chris came in. And all of a sudden, that was it. I knew it was done. Were you despairing at all before he came in? D- utterly despairing. Utterly despairing, especially after our first screen test. I mean, I think that the most positive thing was we had eight actors come in for the first screen test, some really big actors. And they were, some of them were really, really good. But in my heart, I went to sleep that night and I thought, none of them is Peter Quill. I, my instinct was none of them were right. But we had spent all this money on screen tests and we had looked at all these people. <coughs> and I really thought I was going to go in and watch the screen test with. Kevin Feige the next day and he was going to want to give up because we were feeling pressured and instead he was on the same page as me and that was a 
big relief to me that we were not going to stop until we found the very right person. Is that how it works? <coughs> Sorry. When you're go ahead, drink water. Um, I'll stretch this question out. Is that how it works when you're casting for you personally? Is it like you just you just feel it and you just know? Uh, for me, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. Sometimes you do have to settle. I mean, with any with anything, you know, in making a movie, there's so many different aspects of it. Sometimes you get to really late in the game and you have to settle for someone. Sometimes you're creating a bunch of different makeups for different characters and you have to settle on that makeup or that outfit or that set. Um, and that sucks. Um, so you try to really work on the things that matter the most from the very the very beginning. And for me, it's almost always been that I found somebody who was completely right for the role. Uh, and and I've been very, very lucky in that respect. I think that the scarier thing is when you're hiring somebody who doesn't audition, which you have to do when you're making, you know, when I made Super, uh, every single person in that movie that was the big stars, Rain Wilson, Ellen Page, uh, Liv Tyler, Kevin Bacon, they were all hired. You know, even Michael Rooker, who I knew his capabilities, all those people were hired without auditioning. Why? Because we were making the movie for $3 million and they were all going to come and do it for, for SAG, you know, minimum. Uh, you can't really say, hey, come and audition for this. Because that would be insulting. Well, they're just bigger stars that are, you know, doing you a favor by... Right. I mean... They they never treated me like they were doing me a favor, but you know they are doing you a favor in a certain respect. You know they have power. They're you're going to be able to sell your movie in foreign territories simply because of their presence in the film. Right? How was Kevin Bacon? A long time crush on him. I talked to him for about a half hour the other day on the phone. Um, he was uh, because he was being so nice about. He's been doing uh, interviews for his movie Cop Car, which he is very excited about and people really seem to like. Uh, and he was uh, being asked about the Guardians reference in in the movie because we refer to mm-hmm. him. And he just talks about how much he likes the movie, which is always really nice. And uh, and so we were, were catching up the other day. But he's he's a great he's just a great guy. And definitely out of all the people I've worked with, um, probably the guy who was my biggest sort of you know, crush movie star crush. Yeah. (laughs) Him and Rooker both were were two guys that I really admired their acting before I ever worked with them. Although I'd have to say also Glenn Close and Benicio del Toro, same sort of thing. People who I really love their acting, you know, Mm. but I think Kevin, you know, Kevin and Glenn, because I was, you know, younger when I, you know, saw them for the first time. So, yeah, it's really, it's cool. And none of them have disappointed me except for Rooker. He disappoints me on a daily basis because he's, He's uh, truly insane. But the other three <laughs> are all wonderful. So I've heard you talk about making a movie on the scale of Guardians of the Galaxy, that it being just a easier experience. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you miss about the smaller budget filmmaking? Um, I'm sure there is something. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many things. It's really hard making a low budget movie, you know? Um, I mean, you know, on a movie like Super, I really, truly had full creative control. I mean, no one told me anything about, you know, to change this or change that. But honestly, for the most part, even on Guardians, like I never, you know, Kevin and I would argue about things, but we always ended up agreeing at the end of the day. So it never, I really had a lot of freedom there. And on my movie Slither, I mean, there were like two little tiny things that, 
that universal asked me to change. But other than that, I had, I've, I've been very lucky as a director to have a lot of freedom in anything that I've done so far. You know, it is terrifying to think that someday that could not be the case. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the bigger movies are a little bit more. There's there's something fun about getting in there and doing something like, you know, we did the, the PG porn web series. That's so short and quick and cheap and fun that can be a really that would those were really fun to make but in terms of making films having at least a little bit of a budget for me is more fun than having absolutely no budget which is very stressful to me mm-hmm. i think we should do just me or everyone which is a segment that i don't think we did on the episode that you were on but mm. that i do regularly on my show where people write in with um things that they think or do and they wonder is it just me or is it everyone and there's a song Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. So Dave Dollar says, even though sign says men's, I'm never convinced I'm in the right restroom till I see the urinal on the wall. Do you have that? No, I don't. Only in foreign countries where there's a foreign word or a picture or in foreign countries sometimes or in this country where they have a picture of something that's supposed to be a man or a woman. And I'm not exactly sure if that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yes. I've talked about this before, but I pretty much always have this thing where I'll be in a public restroom in the stall and I'll suddenly have this fear that I'm going to walk out and realize I'm in the men's room. Like I always have that fear. I I did when I, 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 uh, I really hate having sticky hands. And uh, I was going to the airport, and I got some gas on my hands as I was filling my, you know, my rental car. Mm. Took it back. So all the whole time, all I can think of is I got to get to the airport and wash my hands. Yeah. And I run into the airport. I get in there. I run into the bathroom. I go and I start washing my hands. And all of a sudden, as I'm washing my hands, I look around and I go, "There's no urinals in here," (laughs) you know. And then I see a woman come in with her daughter, and I'm like, "Ugh." And I'm like, they think they just think I'm the ugliest woman ever. And <laughs> I walked in because they were like so confused as what was going on. Right. Yeah. So it happens. Fate No Chaser says, just me or everyone. I feel like less of an adult and man if I wear a backpack on both shoulders. Stupid. But there it is. Yeah, I can see that. That's... I, I would say that's true of me, too. Yeah. 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 We just went to, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of traveling and I, I take a backpack with me and I, I, I feel... Sometimes it's better to put it on both shoulders because you're actually you know, supporting the supporting weight. The weight right. But I, I, I avoid it because it looks like uh, I look like a, a little child. Yeah, like you're part of a tour group. Yeah. But I, rem- yeah, I remember very deliberately realizing, oh, the older cool kids just have it on one shoulder, yeah. so I'm going to do that now. Yeah. Wow, that's a great one. DPNO10 says. Just me or everyone. Someday. Where are these guys getting these crappy Twitter names? What DPNO? What is that? I know it's a DPN. They just taking a bunch of random letters. DPNO one O. Write in and let us know why that's your Twitter yeah. handle. Uh, some days my favorite button on the remote is mute. Yes, some days it is. Some days my favorite button on the remote is off. Yeah. No, I I, I like I like on pretty much. <laughs> I don't have no. I don't. I rarely use a mute button, and I don't oh, even really? know what it is on the, the the remote. Yeah. Um. 
Are you the kind of person who always has something going in the background? Like the no. TV or the, no. No, 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 no. You're yeah, like when I'm person? writing, I pretty much write in, not in silence because I don't matter if there's dogs or the, the maid or my assistant is doing stuff. It doesn't bother me. I, you know, I started writing a lot in New York and so that chaos is fine, but I don't play music. I don't, I only play music if I'm actually writing a scene to that song, mm-hmm. like in Guardians where I would pick out those songs and then write to those songs while I was you know, putting the screenplay together. Right. Yeah. I used to, um, do homework with my, at that point it was a Walkman and I can't, I could never do that now. Yeah, no. I think, I don't know. I think my attention span has just gotten a lot shorter as I've gotten older or maybe I, uh, no, I did have to concentrate to do homework. So I was gonna say, maybe I just really didn't concentrate on yeah, the homework, I, I but never, I know that yeah. I did. So I don't know how I was able to like do math with rock music playing. Yeah. Cycling WV says, when reading a magazine and want to look closer at a photo, I sometimes try to do the two finger pinch zoom as if I'm on my phone. Yes, I do this all the time. Do you ever do this? Never. Never? Maybe not. Maybe I don't do it all the time, <laughs> but I've definitely done it before. Never. I've never done it. Okay. Better person than I am. <laughs> K Dubsy says, just mirror everyone. I size up the cars on the subway when it pulls in to see if there's a car with with one seats, two a cute guy, three no crazies. Ooh, a very specific local just Wait, near what everyone. Is it again? She sizes up the cars on the subway when it pulls up to see if there's seats, a cute guy, and no crazies. Like those are the when the subway pulls uh, in to figure out which subway car to get on. I only I only choose it in terms of which one has the fewest amount of uh, people on it. Right. Yeah. Trying to think how much I really shop from car to car before getting on. I look for fewer people. Yeah. There are some people, though, who try to, they choose which car based on, like, where it's going to end, where they're going, and which side of the station or the platform they need to be on. Hmm. I don't, I can't do that. I don't have that sense of spatial relations. Going back to the pinch question, I never pinch a photograph, but I do constantly want to rewind my radio, you know, when I'm in the car. Uh, and, and have this desire to rewind or pause it or whatever that I'm so used to being able to do on my TV or watching a video or, or listening to music at home. I can do you one better on that one. I feel like I apologies to people who just heard me talk about this. Cause I think I just mentioned this, but I'll be in my car and like I'll see something out of the corner of my eye and I'll want to rewind it. And I think just from looking at screens, sitting behind a dash, wow. behind a windshield. You want to like rewind I, life. Yes. Like that movie Click, Adam Sandler. <laughs> wow. Right. It's cool. Adam Sam and I are talking about the same philosophical things. Yeah. DPN010 again says, just mirror everyone. Doubt is my only response when somebody says, yes, this is the final version. I won't make any more changes. I feel like he must work in a field, like a graphic design field or Maybe. some sort of something where he's... But I would say that's definitely... <laughs> I, of course, that's my response to that. Yes. I'm with him on that. Right. Well, now, in your field, are you the one who's making the changes? Or the I'm one usually that... the one who's making the changes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 It's usually me. Mrs. Saxman says, just me or everyone? <clears throat> just me or was Golden Globe fashion this year boring and off the rack department store-ish? I don't recall Golden Globe fashion versus other fashion. I did not watch the Golden Globe, so Didn't. I have no Maybe idea. Maybe that's why I don't either. I don't know. But I will take your word for it, Mrs. Saxman. Fate No Chaser says, just me or everyone, don't understand why some people don't have a lock on their bathroom door. Takes away the relaxing part. Just stressful. Who doesn't have a lock on their bathroom door? Yeah. I've never been in a house without a lock on a bathroom door. Right. 
So yeah, I would agree that that would uh, take away the relaxing part. And finally, Kathy LZ or Kathy Ols says, just me or everyone shopping at the grocery store. I sometimes fix up stock on the shelf that is pushed to the back or disorganized. Yes, yes. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> now, is that an OCD thing? Probably. I think it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Are you particular about which, do you pull the first item or do you get an item behind? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll look for like what is the freshest. Like for example, if it's milk, I'll go back to the back and find the one that's going to be, oh God, no. Yeah, no. That That's the I'm amateur choosy. way to shop. I'm choosy, yeah. <laughs> do you do your own shopping or do you no, have No, I do not. <laughs> oh, you don't? No. Oh, look at you. You have an assistant do it? <laughs> I have an assistant, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was something else that you mentioned um, in the past being that episode that I keep referring to, um, not being the kind of person who likes to do like all this little small errandy no, things. It. That's yeah. definitely true. I hate regular life type of things is awful to me. Doing errands, like filling the car with gas, having to go to the DMV, all those types of things in life, which are just the basic, you know, things that we all should be doing. Uh, I think I've spent every ounce of my energy trying to make it so that I don't have to do those things. Standing in line, hate. Uh, so I feel like a- all of my sort of ambition has really been based around not wanting to have to do those other things that people, most people don't seem to have that much of a problem with. Have you always hated these kind of things? Always. Well, how always. Have you had, like I, like t- this tedium? Is that what you hate? Yeah, I mean, I would just put things off forever. Like, it was weird because I'm not, I don't procrastinate with work or things like that. I get things done really early for the most part. But with all that type of stuff, I really was really bad growing up. I mean, legal problems bad because I just don't do things. Like know? not paying bills, that kind of legal stuff? or Yeah, not paying bills or like not, you know, like I didn't, you know, not not renewing my car insurance. Mm-hmm. I remember getting a ticket when I came into town. I mean, all these things are taken care of now. I don't. I do all <laughs> this stuff, but yeah, it was like just really bad about that sort of thing. Yeah. So, and by the way, I'm so envious of this life that you lead, where you can have other people do all this stuff. So I hope someday I can achieve that because I do. I hate this stuff just as much as you do. You know, you 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 say you do. But maybe I, maybe not. Just but you much. probably don't, because the truth is, is th- there's a lot of things in my life that would go before the person that does those things would go. And at the end of the day, that person isn't all, you know, you know, I mean, my, my assistant now gets gets paid, you know, decently. But I've had assistants in the past and they work, you know, three days a week, you know, five hours a day and they get all that type of stuff done. And, you know, it's not, it's not that much money, you know. So wait, what are you saying? I should hire someone? I'm saying it's possible. If you really hate it as much as I do. Oh, oh that's what you're saying. If I really hate it, I You know, would, there's a I lot would, of things yeah. that go before well, that goes. Well, the problem is I hate delegating it as well. Delegating is, that is a real pain in the ass. Yeah. That is a real pain in the ass. So yeah. I feel like coaching someone up to get to the point where I don't have to do these. Like at this point, it's easier for me to do whatever the noxious activity is than to try to explain to someone how to do it i think i, th- I think i, I think that I, I i understand that but in in truth it's it's not it's easier to explain to them so is there anything you haven't been able to uh get someone else to do um, like what are you still stuck doing well i can't remember 
I, I had I paid my own therapy bills for a long time, but I was so bad at it, and they would take so long. I would be so that would be so late on my therapy bills that I eventually got my business manager to pay my therapy bills for me. That's one of the last things to go. Um, I'm trying to think if there's there's much else. I mean, I guess like going to the doctor for yourself. Oh, I mean, yeah, I have to go to the dentist. I have to go to the doctor. Those things I have to do. I have to like, you know, at night when I'm ordering food in, which I do a lot, I order my own food. I've I've gotten used to things that I have to do, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But uh, but yeah, I've I've tried to. I bet you never have. Boy, this is the most spoiled, awful conversation. (laughs) But. Yeah, that's... You're like uh, a grown-up Ricky Stratton, if that was his last name, from Silver Spoons. I don't know who that is. Did you not watch Silver Spoons? I did, I did, but I don't remember. His name is Ricky Stratton? I think that was his name, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Rick Schroeder. Yeah. The yeah. Rickster. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I'm a, ter- <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> no, you're not. There's a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people who have corporate jobs actually do this kind of stuff. They have their assistants buy gifts for them or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I always hear people going on on talk shows and things and saying, oh, no, I go to buy my own groceries. But you know what? I think they're all lying. I think when you have all these like movie stars going on, they're saying they go buy their own groceries. I I don't think that's true. So when you were needing to wear a new item every day did someone buy that for you did you have someone procure your new watches no 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 i buy my own clothes i don't have a problem with buying clothes oh. that's enjoyable to me uh and then socks and things i get on zappos so you can just buy right. lots of socks you know and and some things i get you know i mean some things i you know i would buy my own i buy nixon watches all the time i like nixon watches so just go on the website and buy a bunch of those well if you're ever going to go to lot do you go to las vegas mm-hmm I love Las Vegas. When you're planning your Las Vegas trip, you should have your assistant go to Vegas.com. That's yeah. really the best place to go because oh. they serve up Vegas from the inside. Unlike other travel sites, everyone at Vegas.com is from Vegas. They live in Vegas. They work in Vegas. They party in Vegas. And they know the people that get you the deals. Because whenever I'm in Las Vegas, I'm looking around and I'm like, there are people here who are having a better time than I am. And I know that they paid less. And it's probably because they went to Vegas.com because they hook you up with amazing deals. And they have this proprietary drop watch tool, which promises you the lowest rates on hotels. So it can Watch continues to monitor the price even after you book and notifies you of changes to ensure you get the best deal. You can book at a lower rate and they'll refund you the difference. Um, you can save money on headline shows, comedy, Cirque du Soleil, stuff like that. They also have tours, attractions, VIP bottle service at top clubs. So go to Vegas.com right now when you book hotels, shows, vertical zip lining off the Rio, etc. Enter my code best friend in the promo box at checkout and get an extra 10% off everything but air hotel packages. That's Vegas.com and get your bonus savings with my secret code best friend well james gunn this has been so much fun thank you so much for coming back what have we left out let's see so right now you are you're writing currently i'm writing yeah i'm writing guardians 2 um we don't know what the title is yet and uh and that's it that's pretty much what it is like when? i've been writing all day long my, my brain is so burnt you know but you always seem to get me at, like the last time too. It was like I was very uh, honest. I remember on that podcast, and it's pretty honest. I was honest this time too. So I'm always honest. I guess I was going to say, what do you normally like? I, I think, didn't catch you in one of your full of shit moods. No, I think it's <laughs> well. It's not that. It's that I think that you're good at asking questions in a way that um, do you tell. I don't feel like I need. You know, you actually get like a sincere answer out of me. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I, I need to 
you know, be funny all the time, which is, is, is a good thing, I think. Um, I think so. So it's, uh, you know, it's funny that something that I try to get my act, you know, with like with Chris, it was something, you know, we had to talk about a lot because he's basically worked as a, you know, comic on, you know, in, in movies and, and being funny and juggling. And, and so much of getting him to harness his energy was about getting him to just be and be present and be himself. And that was where his true power lies. And that's why he's such a big movie star. It's because he's, you can just trust him to be there and be okay. And people like that. People like him. You don't need to impress everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's what I think this uh, podcast is like. You know, but now, you know, I'll get all sorts of things about how boring I was, but that's okay. No, I don't think you will. <laughs> that's interesting though. That's, yeah, that's something that I think everyone sort of has to figure out where that line is, where you just trust that you are dynamic enough as yourself. And sometimes when someone's just themselves and comfortable in themselves, that's the most dynamic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. You know, I mean, when people are honest, that's always the most interesting thing. When people are vulnerable and sincere, that's usually the most interesting thing. Right. But yeah, for some reason, I think it's a combination of your manner and where I've been when I've come in, like just sort of, I don't want to say I'm exhausted, but I'm close to exhausted. And that is, you know, puts you in a space where you're just sort of, you know, you know, real. Defenses are down. Real. But also you ask me a bunch of questions that other people don't <laughs> ask me. <laughs> well, about, um, people usually just ask me about Guardians. That's all they right. ask me about. <laughs> or, you know, you know, uh, you know, things to do with movie making. And that's you have all these other questions you like to ask. Last time you talked to me all about, you know, relationships the whole time. And I was like, wow. So I don't have canned answers for those things. Yeah. Um, you mean I'm not like the 10th person to ask you about frozen dairy treats? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So writing right now. And then when do you start shooting? Do you know? Uh, we, we, we shoot, uh, next year, uh, I believe we're going to shoot in Atlanta, Georgia and not in the UK. Um, is that good? Is that bad? It's, 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 it's very, very sad for me and also good. Um, I'm sad because, um, because I really came to love London and I really came to love the crew and the people there. And there are some people that uh, we won't be able to work with now because they're there. Um, I mean, everybody from, you know, the stand-ins, you know, uh, Chris and Abby and those guys, you know, who work so good and and they live in London. So uh, that's sad. Um, But uh, I have a dog and I have a cat and uh, I need to get them to the place where I'm going. And so it's a lot easier to get them to Atlanta. And it's also a lot easier for me to be able to fly back and forth um, to to LA. So that's a real positive benefit. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, click the banner on my website, AllisonRosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does help out the show. And thank you guys so, so, so much for all of the Amazon support. It makes a huge difference, especially as we are getting the dining room studios up and running. Um, Also, there's PayPal links on my website, AllisonRosen.com on the right side. And thank you for the PayPal support. We have a ringtone available. Hey, hey. Go fuck yourself. You can get that by searching Hey Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. We have two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. The first one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. The next one with Doug Benson, musician Matt Costa, and much of the departed Thursday gang. And those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. I already told you where to find me on Twitter. You can uh, email the show, show at gmail.com. And if you want to send in a Just Mirror Everyone, just tweet that to at ARIYMBF. And, of course, everyone should go out and watch Guardians of the Galaxy, although I'm sure that they've already seen it. But go see it again. But 
where else should they go to find you? Uh, you know, uh, Facebook is the best place. It's facebook.com slash jgunn. So that's uh, that's where I'm the most active. And I'm James Gunn on Twitter and James Gunn on Instagram. And you have a website, but you have not updated it since 2012. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> do anything with my website. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. This was so much thank fun. Thank you, Allison. And thank you guys for listening. I love you. Goodbye. See you.